Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are majestic, Lord. You are all-powerful. And we stand amazed at who you are. You created the universe. You created the heavens and the earth. And then you formed man and woman. You created us in your image. And we stand amazed at your power, your glory, and your awesomeness, Lord. Your handiwork is displayed throughout the skies. Psalms chapter 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after the night they display knowledge. There's no voice or no language where their voice is not heard. We stand in all of you, Lord God, being our creator and making us so that we can live this life and have a personal relationship with you. Lord, we love you. And we stand in awe, and you, you are majestic majesty. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. All right, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's read our text. We're looking at an amazing subject this morning. We're looking at prophecy and tongues. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about prophecy and tongues? If you're there, give me a head nod, give me a shout. See I'm there. Okay, y'all there? All right, let's, let's read these first four verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's read verses 1 through 4. It says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, as we dig into it now, Lord, um, I pray that you teach us, you guide us, and direct us through this passage. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Come to an amazing subject this morning. Highly debatable. A lot of people talk about... Um, Prophecy and tongues. What is it? What is, what, well, we know what prophecy is, but the question is, what is tongues? Is it a known language? There's two, there's two views in this world. There's two beliefs concerning tongues in the Bible. One is this a known language. The other one is that it is a prayer language. Now, first off, let me say this. There are many godly men on both sides of the aisle. There are many godly men on both sides of the aisle. There are many godly churches, people on, on both sides of the aisle. People believe, some people believe that it's um, a language, a foreign a language spoken by someone in another language that other people can understand based on Acts chapter 2. And then there's people that believe it's a prayer language. It's a prayer language. My position, I'll tell you up front. If all we had in the Bible on tongues was Acts chapter 2, I would say it's another language. I would say people spoke in tongues and is speaking in another language where people can understand. If all we had was Acts chapter 2. But when you add 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I believe it's a prayer language. That's what I believe. I, I believe that 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is 
a prayer language for believers is what, is what I believe it is. Like I said, if we, had, if we only had Acts chapter 2, I would say it was another tongue in another foreign land. But as we go through this passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're, gonna, we're just going to see some verses in here that talks about tongues. It, it just can't be applied to a foreign language. That, and he, he makes it very clear. He's talking about tongues, and he's talking about prayer, and he's talking about intercession. And we're going to look at a verse in, in Romans where he's talking about um, deep intercessory prayer. But the first thing I want to bring to your, I want to, the first point I want to bring to you this morning is this passage was written for us today. Some people try to reduce Christianity down to a, a, a dead, dry, orthodox. We're studying these ancient letters that was written 2,000 years ago for people 2,000 years ago. Now, I understand the Apostle Paul penned this from Ephesus to the church at Corinth 2,000 years ago. But 1 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It's profitable for us today. So as we read the pages of Scripture, all Scripture, he's addressing us. He's addressing you today. When we open our Bible, God is speaking through the pages of what is written. And, and so, church, believers, here is what the Lord says to us today. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Now, the first thing I want to bring to your attention in verse 1, he says, pursue love. We talked about this last week. What is love? It's a self-sacrificing love. It's the mark of Christianity. Love is the foundation of all the gifts. And then he says, yet desire. That word desire means to crave, to go after. It's like when you're really, really hungry for something, and you're craving it, and you want it, and you won't stop until you get it. He's saying, desire he uses the word earnestly. The word earnestly, it means intense conviction of what this is. And what is it? Spiritual gifts. The Calvary Chapel movement, we're accused by many of, of being in the middle. Of being in the middle. The Pentecostals say, say that uh, uh, you Calvary Chapel people, you quench the spirit. You quench the spirit because we put a lot of emphasis on the word. And we don't apologize for that. Because that's, that's where the emphasis always is. And then our cessationalist brothers, you know, um, my, my Baptist brothers, they, they accuse us of being too charismatic. <laughs> that's just the way it is in Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel, our position is we, when it comes to our relationship with Christ and life in the church, you've got to be in the Word of God. And you've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. You've got to bring those two together. And we've got to be alive, alive in Christ, alive in the Lord. We've got to bring those together. This ain't some dead, dry, orthodox. You know, we're not studying some ancient book from 2,000 years ago. We're studying the inspired Word of God written to us today. So, the first thing he says in verse 1 there is, he says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. In these first four verses, he introduces us to prophecy and tongues. And let's see what the Word says. First, let's look at prophecy in verses 3 and 4. We're going to jump around looking at the first four verses, but we're going we're to 
grab it topically. Let's look at what prophecy is. Prophecy is in verse 3 and 4. First off, Vine's expository dictionary says prophecy is speaking forth the mind and the counsel of God supernaturally. Supernaturally. In other words, I didn't go study Jimmy and learn all about him, what's going on in his life, and then give him a diagnosis of what's going on in his life. But I went to him, and the Lord showed me in my heart, hey, share this with Jimmy. And Jimmy's like, wow, that was the right word for the right moment at the right time. That's prophecy. So what is prophecy? Look at verse 3. Very, very important. If you get this principle down for prophecy and tongues, it will take you a long ways in your Bible study. Verse 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to who? He speaks to men. He speaks to people. This is very, very important. Remember this. If you, if you leave here today and you remember anything that Pastor David taught, is remember this. Prophecy speaks to men. We're going to see that as we go through this passage. Tongues speaks to God. All right? Tongues speak to God. Prophecy speaks to men. Um, that's very, very important. And look at, praise the Lord for the word of God. He defines what prophecy is. Look at it, verse 3. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, for exhortation, and consolation. That is the definition of prophecy. Edification, uh, what, what he has in mind is a building being built up. A building being built with its plumbing, its construction, and a tower being erected. Well, you and I, through the gift of prophecy, through someone exercising this gift, we are being built up in our Christian faith. We are being built up in our life. And there's a supernatural aspect of this building up where the Holy Spirit is, is using, let's just say, Ida. She goes to prison and she works with these young ladies where the Holy Spirit is using Ida, or many of you involved in many ministries, to build up that person supernaturally. It's where the Holy Spirit lays on Ida's heart and says, listen, when you go there tonight, I want you to share this with the young ladies. And then she goes and she shares it with the young ladies. And the young ladies are like, wow, because it's building them up. The next one uh, in verse 3 is exhortation. Exhortation means to pursue a future course, to pursue a future course. So we see in the gift of prophecy, there's this taking a a person operating in the gift, taking another person and directing them to a future goal or future mission to push them forward, to push them forward into, hey, Charity, I see you're operating in this gift and this really looks like where God may be calling you and, and pointing Charity in a future direction for a ministry or a job or something to do with her family. That's what exhortation is. Exhortation is also uh, warning people of pending danger. Hey, something's going on in your life. You're, you're going down a path you shouldn't go to. And the Holy Spirit places it on someone else's heart to come to you and say, hey, I'm really concerned about what's going on. And I really want to sit down and talk to you and warn you that that path that you're going down is going to lead to destruction. That's part of exhortation. And then finally, we saw this edification, it's exhortation, and it's consolation. Consolation is comfort and encouragement. And in the gift of prophecy, according to the text, it's comforting someone. It's lifting them up. It's where God places it on your heart supernaturally 
without you having even any other knowledge and going and consoling someone and lifting them up. So that is what the gift of prophecy is according to verse 3. And do we not need this? I mean, do we all have it all together? Does everybody here, is everybody here walking down the straight and narrow, they got everything going perfect in their life, and they need no help? No. We need this gift operating in our church. This gift of prophecy, of edification, exhortation, and consolation. And i got to say, i got to put an emphasis on it. It's supernatural. It's supernatural. It's not from me learning about Vince and asking all these questions and then dissecting him and pinpointing him. It's where the Lord gives me a supernatural word to edify him, to exhort him, or to bring consolation. That's what the gift of prophecy is according to verse 3. And we need this. Now, let's look at the big one, the controversial one, the one that most of this chapter deals with. Look at verses 2 and 4. Let's look at tongues. It says, For one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to who? Okay, very important. Remember, when you leave here today, if anything you remember what Pastor David said is, is prophecy speaks to men, tongues speak to God. That's what the word says right there in verse 2. Very important. Who were the disciples speaking to in Acts chapter 2? Were they speaking to the people, or were they speaking to God? I had to go, actually go back this week and look at it. Because I was thinking, okay, they're talking to the people. They're, they're talking to the people who understood them, and it was understood in their own language. If you go back and look at the text, it says they were talking to God. They were worshiping God. Where were they at? They were at the very first prayer meeting. The very first prayer meeting. They were in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, verse 11 says, talking about the people, says, We hear them in our own, and we heard them speak in the tongues the wonderful works of God. Those people that had gathered there at Jerusalem from all the foreigners, it doesn't say that the disciples were preaching to them. It says they overheard them speaking in tongues, and yes, it was a known language. It, they, they, they heard the disciples praying in tongues, but they understood that to be speaking in their own language. They said that. But the, my point is this. The tongues were uh, directed to God. They were directed to God. They were not preaching. If it was preaching, it was pathetic because nothing happened. They even accused them. What did they accuse them of? They accused them of being intoxicated and drunk. So if it was preaching, that tongues wasn't very powerful. If you go back and study Acts chapter 2, you'll see that after the tongues is over, it says that Peter stands up and Peter preaches this long sermon. It wasn't until after that sermon that they responded and got saved. And it was very clear from the text that Peter spoke that to them in the language of the people, in the language. He wasn't speaking in tongues. Um, Peter's preaching to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And here's another situation where we see tongues are directed to God. Acts chapter 10, verse 46 says, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. These were new, brand new converts that came to Christ from Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house. And it says in verse 46 of chapter 10, it says they were speaking with tongues and exalting God. Who were they exalting? They were exalting God. They were exalting the Lord. They were exalting the Lord. Let's continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse, chapter 14, verse 2. Let's look at what he says 
about tongues. He says in uh, halfway through verse 2, for no one understands. You know, it says right there, it says some people say, you know, what? Well, I don't understand what they're saying or it makes no sense. Well, I got a suggestion for you. Maybe it's not for us. Maybe it's for the Lord. Maybe it's for God. Maybe it's for the Lord. 14, uh, verse 2, continue. No one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Now, I got to throw this out there from, from my Bible scholars and my in depth logos studying guys that we do a lot of intense study of Scripture that I, I, don't, I don't agree with the translators of the NASB and the, and the King James. Uh, if you have the NASB or the King James, your version says, but in his spirit. Uh, lowercase, in his spirit. All other versions have in the spirit. In the spirit. So we see that it's a, it's a work of the Lord. The, if you go back and look at a, a Greek interlinear, which I did this week, go to blueletterbible.com, pull up the verse, look at the concordance, and you'll see in the, in the Greek interlinear, the, the text is translated in the spirit. In the spirit. So we see it's a work of the Holy Spirit. As that's the whole testimony of the whole entire chapter of 14. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, he speaks mysteries. As I read that, you know, that's what I thought of. I believe it's a beautiful prayer language. I believe it's a beautiful prayer language. It's a very beautiful, notice I said, prayer language. Um, Pastor David does not believe in charismatic chaos. I don't believe in going into a worship service and just a bunch of people speaking in tongues and as we're going to see in the text in four or five verses down, just speaking into there. I don't believe in charismatic chaos. I believe that this gift that's talked about in chapter 14 of tongues is a prayer language. I, I believe it's a prayer language. I believe it's a, um, it's a deep intercessory prayer language. Romans 8.26, I believe the apostle, this is what the Apostle Paul was referring to. Romans 8.26, he says, uh, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. In the same way the Holy Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. So the Holy Spirit is helping the believer in their weakness, not knowing how to pray. In the same way the Holy Spirit helps our weaknesses. What's our weakness? We all struggle with prayer, correct? We all wrestle with spending time in prayer and, and doing what we should do. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I don't believe it's this charismatic chaos, but I believe it's this deep within our heart, deep within our soul, crying out to God in deep intercessory prayer. That's what I believe the gift of tongues is, and I think we'll continue to see that as we work our way through this. Look at verse 4. It says, uh, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Notice it says, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. I don't, I don't see how you could translate this to saying that this is preaching the gospel. But what I do see it is, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. The gift of tongues edifies us with Romans 8, 26, with benefiting us in prayer, in our prayer life, in our prayer closet. When we have to go to God and we have to dig deep within our soul 
and pour our heart out before him. That's what I believe tongues is. So remember, when you leave here today, what did Pastor David say? Prophecy is for who? Men. And tongues is for who? God. Prophecy speaks to men. Tongues speaks to the Lord. Let's see, where are we at here? Um, verse, verse 5. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edification. Now, my question to you is, so why is prophecy greater than tongues? It says it right there in the text. Prophecy edifies the church. Prophecy edifies believers, from one believer with a gift to other believers, building them up. And that's what we're about, right? Building the kingdom. Building God's kingdom. Building the church. Encouraging people. We'll continue with verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you? Unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy and of teaching. The first thing it says there, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will it profit you? We've seen the things on TV. You've probably even been to a church service where a preacher gets up on stage and starts battling. They start speaking in tongues. What good, how does that benefit the body? How does that benefit the listeners? It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't. It doesn't benefit the body. And look at halfway through verse 6. It doesn't benefit because it says, unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching. What he's saying here is when it comes to ministry, we got to speak English. we got to speak English. we got to speak our, our language that we know. You've got to be understandable. you got to be understandable. I don't see that in Scripture where there's a, a gathering of people and people are speaking in tongues or the preacher is speaking in tongues. We're going to see in a little bit, or it might be next week, we'll see in the passage where they're going to think you're mad. They're going to think you're crazy. And they're going to run for the door. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around that. That's scary. Scary. It's kind of spooky. But what he's saying in verse 6 is you need to speak English. You need to come by revelation or knowledge or prophecy of teaching. You need to bring the word of God. Coming to, to a group of people and speaking in tongues does not, um, does not benefit them. Why? What was our rule? Because speaking in tongues is for the Lord, is for God. It's prophecy is for man. Let's look at verse 7. You can kind of get lost in this passage. You know, there's a lot of words You're like, ooh, what did that mean? What did that mean? Let me, let me steer through this. You need to understand this. We need to know what you're saying. When a person is preaching or teaching or communicating in ministry, we need to understand what they're saying. We need to know what they're trying to communicate. So with that thought in mind, let's read verses 7 through 9. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? For if the bugle produces a distinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also, you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking in the air. Again, if you go to a church and there's people exercising this gift out in the air, out in the public, out in the open, what's going to happen according to this passage? 
no one's going to understand. No one's going to understand. And I've seen this over and over and over um, in these churches, because I was part of the Pentecostal church. It creates confusion. It creates confusion. People are like, whoa, what's going on here? And their hands start shaking, and they head out the door. Because I, I ain't having no part of this. But they, they don't understand. But listen to what he says. Uh, so uh, verse 9, to make it clear, look at verse 9. So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech, that is clear. The tongue speech, that is clear. That's the English language. How will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking in the air. You will be speaking in the air. Again, as I go through this passage, and we, it's going to get even more clear in a little bit, I see it as a prayer language. I see it as a, a place in our prayer closet. He's got to give us, another, give us an illustration in verse 10. Let's look at it. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, but no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. We have to speak clearly. We have to communicate clearly so that minds and hearts can understand what is being said. We can't, as the text says, it says we can't talk like barbarians to one another or barbarians in church service. 1995 or 96, we went on a missions trip to Honduras. And uh, it was after that missions trip that me and Irene came back and began our journey together. We were in Honduras in 1995. We were on a missions trip, and we were doing ministry down, in, down there. And we had some translators with us, and we went to some churches. And I remember we were in this one church, and I had to really, really, really go to the bathroom. I had to really go, like really bad. And I went up, and I couldn't find the translators, and I went up to the, lady, I went up to the man, and I said, Where, where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? He's like, uh... No Espanol, no, no. You know, there was this barrier. I, I was even like, where is the bathroom? And, and no, 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 Oh, goodness gracious. And finally, I found the translator. I said, like, how do you ask this guy where's the bathroom? Donde este el baño? Donde este el baño? Oh, yeah, see, sí, see, sí, right over here. And he sent me to the bathroom. Before we were speaking like barbarians, I didn't know what he was saying. He didn't know what I was saying. But as soon as I understood his language, and I was able to talk in that language, bam, we communicated, and I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> in other words, the point of the passage is, the point of the illustration is, there needs to be clear intellectual language that we can understand, not, not like barbarians. We've got to speak clearly and communicate. Verse 12, he says, So also you, I'm going to stop right there, the Word of God speaks to us today, all believers. And so, so also you personalize this. Look at this. This is for you, my friends. This is for you. This is for me. This is for us. Verse 12, he's speaking to you this morning. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. What is God calling you to do for the body of of Christ. Now we're going to see, I think it was chapter 12, verse 30, not all speak in tongues, not all prophesy, not all have this gift, but you have a gift. You have a gift for the body. What is he calling you to do? Um, 
So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, pursue your gift with zeal. Pursue it with passion. There's people in this body right here and in your community that need you. That need you to walk in your gift, whether it's helps, administrations, whatever the gift it is. He's, he needs you to step up to the plate and be there, and maybe for your next-door neighbor. Abby could have a friend at school that she's trying to reach out to. And Abby and all you guys need to embrace your gift and your calling and see where God is calling you so that you can make an impact and build up, as it says right there in verse 12, edify the body of Christ, edify the church. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Looking at those two verses, do you see why I call it a prayer language? Do you see that? That's, that's why um, I call it a prayer language. Right there. Verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Right there in those eight words. The whole passage, I think, for the whole part. But verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue. So, so okay, okay, Paul, so if you do pray in a tongue, what's up with that? The next three words. My spirit prays. My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. This is why, as I go through this passage, that I understand and I believe it's a prayer language. It's a prayer language. It's deep within us. It's a, um, it's, a, it's a spiritual prayer from the heart where you call out to God. You know, I'm not going to drive my stake in the ground. I'm not, I'm not going to drive my stake in the ground. Look at verse 13. It says, Therefore let one who speaks in a tongue that he may interpret. I'm not driving my stake in the ground, but maybe that's what happened in Acts chapter 2. I don't know. I'm not going to drive my stake in the ground. Acts chapter 2 is historical. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is theological. But maybe, I'm not going to draw my stake in the ground, but maybe that's what's taking place. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. I don't know. But he says, For I pray in a tongue, and my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It's deep within us as a prayer language. Verse 15. I, I really like this, this verse here. What is the outcome then? Question. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. I read this passage here, and so it's telling us, don't leave your mind behind. Don't leave your mind behind. Don't leave your mind behind. Engage God with your heart and your mind. You know, I don't, I don't believe in this ecstatic loss of control, shaking and and acting uncontrollable because I believe when we pray, when we, have, when we have a prayer language, and even when we pray, the text says we engage him with our hearts and our minds. We pour out our heart. And this takes place in a prayer closet. This takes place in, in that early morning hours or in that late evenings when you're all alone and you're pouring your heart out to the Lord. Maybe your heart's been broken. Maybe your heart's been dashed. And you're just pouring out to the Lord. 
everything that's going on or someone else's, something is going on in someone else's life and you're in your prayer closet and God gives you a prayer language to pray for someone. But we don't leave our mind behind. Verse 15. Now, verses 16 and 17, this is instructions to someone who has a prayer language. This is instructing the person who, who claims to have this prayer language. Look at verses 16 and 17. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the space of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. If you have this gift of tongues, be sensitive to others. Don't weird people out. Um, be, be sensitive to other people. Some people are not comfortable at all around that type of prayer language. And be sensitive. Be sensitive to them. It says, uh, otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, the Apostle Paul there is talking about what the whole chapter is talking about, talking about tongues. How would the one who fills this, the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? He's going to be like, what are, you, what are you saying? That ain't make it, I, I, I don't understand that. Verse 17, for you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Be sensitive. Be sensitive. I, I, um, I had to go to one of my military schools up at Fort Lee, Virginia, and I'll never forget. Um, I had left the Pentecostal church for several years, but I was, I was going through my training. And one Sunday I got off, and I, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go visit. I'm not going to say the denomination because it doesn't matter. Um, I said, I'm going to go visit one of those churches. And, and I went into the church, and I sat down, and uh, they, they obviously could tell I was a visitor. And the lady turned around, hi, what's your name? I said, David. She said, hi, I'm Sue. Um, are you new here? And I'm like, yeah, this is my first time. She said, do you speak in tongues? And I thought to myself, what kind of question is that? <laughs> what, kind of question, what kind of question is that to ask a visitor or to ask a person? You know, not everybody's comfortable with it. And, and according to verses 16 and 17, we need to be sensitive. We need to be sensitive. Verse 18 and 19, he says, uh, wow, that's a powerful statement here by the Apostle Paul. He says, uh, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. I speak in tongues more than you all. This is what he's, what he's saying there. I was uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers that I listen to on a regular basis. Um, I, I couldn't believe what I heard when, whenever I read his commentary this week. Um, he believes that this whole entire, all of 1 Corinthians um, chapter 14 is a mockery of the Corinthian church. That Paul's just mocking them, saying you, should, you have no business doing this, and it's wrong. But how do you deal, how do you squeeze verse 18 in that? He says, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Verse 19, however, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than ten words in a tongue. Again, here, the preeminence of preaching the word clearly, legibly, audibly, so that you can understand in our known language is what I'm doing right now as we're in the word and we're studying it. Five words like this is better than 10,000 in tongues. 
So, so important. I want to close this morning on this passage of tongues uh, with four principles. I emailed you guys out this week and said, hey, what's your questions? And I want, to, I want to bring up four points. The first one is this. There are many, many godly men on both sides of the, on both sides of the spectrum, both sides of the fence. They're both Christian. They're both filled with the Holy Spirit completely, 100%. You know, there ain't none of this, well, if you don't have the baptism, you're not saved, or if you don't have the baptism, you're this or that. No. When you get saved, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, comes in your heart completely, 100%. Okay? But there's many godly men on both sides. And I'm going to tell you, the thing that, that turns me off the most is criticisms. We can talk about it. We can debate it. Yeah, let's talk about it. I love talking word. I love talking theology. But let's not throw rocks at each other. Let's not throw rocks between churches where they believe in speaking in tongues and churches where they don't believe. It does no good. You know, I got, I got my degree from a Baptist university. I love the Baptist church. But I'm just, I'm just using that as a name. Me and my Baptist brother are going to hold hands in our fellowship and in our common mission of spreading the gospel, we're going to hold the hands the whole way through, and we're going to be in harmony, and we're going to be in unity. One day, in the sweet by and by, when we step into eternity, one of us will be saying to the other, see, I told you. See, I told you. One of us. Now, I'm going to be right. He's going to be wrong. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But these, these, are, these are passages that... You know, like I said in the beginning of my sermon, if all I had was Acts chapter 2, no, there's no prayer language. There's no prayer language. The gift of tongues is given to missionaries so they can go speak to a people in a foreign language in a language they can understand. If that's all I had was Acts chapter 2. But systematic theology is what they call it. You've got to bring everything the Bible says about the subject and you've got to bring it together. That's why I said my Pentecostal and non-Pentecostal brothers need to hold hands together for the gospel. Don't divide over this. Don't divide over this. That's principle number one. Many godly men on both sides of the aisles. And let's talk about it. Let's debate it. I, I love it. Man, let's talk about what the word says. I'm not saying let's keep it hush. Man, let's email me this week. Call me this week. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Love to. But we're not going to throw rocks at each other. We're going to have unity. It's principle number two. The gift of tongues it's not for everyone. And some of you are saying, oh my goodness, I thought Pastor David was going to say, you know, everybody's got to start speaking in tongues. But notice in verse 5 of this chapter, the Apostle Paul says in verse 5, he says, now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. That's what Paul says there. That's what the Word of God says. He says, I, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. He wished. But if you go back to chapter 12, verse 30, you'll see that the, this gift is not for everyone. He says, not all prophesy. Not all speak in tongues. There's different gifts for different people in the body. So if you don't have this gift and you're completely content, and like, I, I'm good, Pastor David. I'm golden. Thank you, though. <laughs> then, then you're golden. You're good. That's principle number two. The, verse five, he says, I wish that you all speak in tongues, but chapter 12, verse 30, not everyone does it. Um, the, the final principle is this. I know many believers who speak of a prayer language, and I am one of them. I am one of them. And 
And you might say to me this morning, well, I've never heard you. I've never heard you pray in the Spirit. I've never heard you pray in tongues. And the reason for that, it's not for you. It's not for you. It's for God. It's for His glory. It's in my prayer closet that, that sometimes I'm praying and I'm, there's no more, no more words I can say. And I just start pouring my heart out to Him and interceding for believers and praying for them that I, go, that I will pray in my prayer language. Amen? I, I encourage you guys to be Bereans, to be Bereans and diligently study the scriptures and find out where God has called you to be in the body. What gift? There's um, Romans chapter 12, list the gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Find out where God is calling you to be in ministry and pursue that with a zeal. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, so much for this amazing subject. God, we, we love you. Um, we seek unity in our body. We seek fellowship in our body. And Lord, give us, Lord God, a passion to pursue you more and more, to find out what our gift is, Lord God. And Father, if, if there's people here that exercise this gift of tongues, I pray, Lord, that you will sharpen them by your word and you will give them the supernatural ability to pray more, to praise more, to, to dig deep in their prayer life and, and lifting up other people, Lord God. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for what we learned this morning in chapter 14 on prophecy and tongues. Amen.